Well, good morning again, folks. Uh, we've got another installment on our Running on Empty series. Uh, and this really is quite a simple one. We're turning to Exodus 18 this morning to look at Jethro uh, and his son-in-law, Moses. Uh, and the big lesson is very simple. Uh, you'll run out of fuel if you try and do it all yourself. Um, there's a reason why rally drivers have co-drivers in with them because they can go faster uh, and do better when they've got someone trusted beside them who's going to take the burden or take some of the burden off their shoulders. There's a reason why Formula One drivers have radios and an entire team and pit crew uh, with them because it's so much faster than we Lewis Hamilton having to pull in, kick the tyres, decide to change the tyre himself, hop back in and drive on again. Uh, last season the F1 pit stop average time was 2.4 seconds. It's a lot better when you have a team around you who know what they're doing. Now Moses is an aggressive strong leader but up to this point in the bible he's been doing it all himself not giving it to anyone else for the sake of administration he's just sort of this one-man show pastoring two and a half odd million people um joshua fights the physical battles moses does the rest he's the justice department he's the government he's the spiritual leader he's doing everything now fortunately he's a father-in-law who is smart and insightful as well and in the first 10 verses of the chapter we read about Jethro coming out to meet Moses uh, and, and the people of Israel coming from Midian and he comes with Moses's wife and two sons now you read that and you think Moses why is your wife back with her dad why, why is she not with you why are they back in Midian I think most people uh, tend to sort of logically track through scripture that she was there with Moses in Egypt. She was there for the Exodus, uh, perhaps even for uh, and for the crossing of the Red Sea. And Moses maybe sent his wife, her his wife and sons, back to Jethro. Like, tell your dad what's happened. Tell him about the win we've had over Egypt. Tell him about the Exodus. And now he's coming with them to celebrate with Moses and the people of Israel. It's amazing when you've got supportive in-laws like that. And we read in verse 8, Moses tells his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh in Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 10, praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I now know that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, burnt uh, an offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. Now, Jethro is the priest of Midian, which makes me think that Jethro was a priest to a God that wasn't the one true God. The previous chapter in Exodus talks about how they were fighting the Amalekites, which would be a recurring theme for the Israelites. But the people of Midian would also be an enemy to Israel. The Midianites were a constant threat as well. So Jethro, despite being a priest, probably rooted in a false religion says in verse 11 i've watched i've listened i've been convinced moses your god is the god above all gods he's the greatest I i'm convinced folks i don't think there's anything more special than when a family member gets saved someone who you love so much and can relate to someone who knows you and your failures and your mistakes 
when they come to saving faith it's something that's so special never underestimate the power of personal testimony and telling people like here's what god's done for me here's what he's done here here's been my victories because you can almost hear jethro's response to it oh, my god wouldn't have been able to do that for me your god's the greatest and there's this powerful picture of a family reunited united in saving faith and worshiping god together and the next day then jethro sits and he watches his son-in-law go out and lead a nation of two and a half million people. But what I love about this story then is that this young convert just asks some wonderfully simple questions. Why? It's always interesting watching people stuck in their ways explain their reasons to such a simple question like why. So why do it this way? Well, we've always done it this way. Okay, but why? Why have you always done it this way? Verse 13. The next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? And Moses says to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire about God. You can hear it. Moses why are you doing it this way? It seems really ineffective. Well, it's the way it, it, it's always happened, Jethro. It's the way it's grown. Okay, but why this way? And, and the answer sounds so noble. Well, I'm the link to God. They come to me because they want to hear the voice of God. I'm, I've got the best link. I, I, God speaks to me. When they have a difficulty, I come and I judge it. And I know the statutes of God and, and his laws. And Verse 17, we hear Jethro's response. That's not good. I love it. Could you imagine your own father-in-law saying this to you, man? You know, going, that's stupid. That's wrong. But here's the heart behind it. Verse 18. You're going to wear yourself out. And the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. So Jethro, the father-in-law, sees that Moses has been reduced to a problem shuffler from morning until evening. Trying to do everything. Personal needs, family needs, social problems, all by himself. Can you imagine the kind of thing that Moses would have to listen to on a daily basis? He stole my sheep. The person in the tent next to me snores all the time when I hear him. And all the stuff he gets all day long, it would be exhausting. Just person after person after person after person. But notice verse 14, the word alone. Why do you sit here alone? Why are you doing it by yourself? Verse 18, you can't do this by yourself. Jethro's saying like, you need a team around you. Now here's the principle. One person, no matter how gifted, cannot do a ministry alone. You can't sustain anything for any length of time alone. Dale Moody was wise. He said, I'd rather find a hundred men to do the work than do the work of a hundred men. Moses is doing the work of a hundred men. Jethro is going like, you need a hundred men to do the work. You need some administration around you. You need some delegation in, in, around you because this can't keep going. Two reasons why. Number one, you're going to wear yourself out. Number two, you're going to wear the people out as well. So imagine the patience it would take to stand all day in queue to just speak to Moses. It would be so frustrating. Do you think they would have been happy doing that? The only thing the people who queue outside, uh, some of the shops at the minute to get in, and how they complain and are frustrated. How do you think you'd feel if you had to wait six hours to talk to someone about your problems to get a wee bit of Worked on. 
Now, I think we'd all look at it and go, well, this is obvious, right? Duh, one guy can't micromanage millions of people. But sometimes it takes an outside voice to help us see it. Moses was stuck. Uh, he had grown into this rut and he was stuck on the rut. He was the judge of the people. He'd taken responsibility on himself of selling whatever disputes. I mean, numbers tells us that in Israel there were 600,000 fighting men. That's the population of Belfast by itself. So as a result, Moses' time was entirely taken up with this task. And he's unable to do the other things that would have been required of his leadership. But Moses hadn't noticed. Not so often the case whenever people have their heads so far in a task that they're doing it. It can be difficult to step back and assess, can we do this better? They can't see the, the wood for the trees. Sometimes they can be so busy in our ministries that we lose the perspective to work on our ministries. The breakthrough for Moses came when Jethro came and saw things with fresh eyes and asked a simple question, well, why? I wonder who are the Jethros in your life? Who do you have that can come in and speak with a fresh perspective on the things that you're doing? Would you allow someone to come in and to speak honestly and ask those difficult questions about how you're doing things? It's good to hear hard words. The advice that Jethro gave Moses wouldn't have been easy to hear. Nobody likes being told that they're not doing things the best way. I know I don't like being course corrected. I mean, what man does? I've had to learn humility in this area to take the helpful advice for what it is. Helpful advice. The way Jethro phrased his counsel, it's practical, but it's also blunt. What you're doing is not good. And it maybe questioned Moses' perception of his own abilities. You're not able to do it alone, verse 18. You can't do it. For many leaders, hearing that would be come across as a challenge to their identity as a leader, their authority as a leader. There's so many different ways to respond to hard words. Like this. Some people might respond angrily with resentment to the person who tries to help. Some will take it personally and their confidence will be dented. Some people will just ignore it and double down. Moses, however, receives the words, however difficult they were to hear, and he changes his practice accordingly. As a result, he grows and becomes a much more effective leader. Now, that's not to say that we take on every bit of advice that someone offers, all right, because you'll never get anything done, because there's always people who are willing to offer you their opinion. Discernment is required. Listen to your Jethro's. But there is great value in having wisdom to get good advice when it's offered and in having the character to hear the advice for what it's worth even when it's difficult to hear it. Moses was willing to listen to Jethro. He knew that even though he was a young believer he had experience and advice from years of life experience. There was a fresh perspective that he could give. There could have been loads of reasons that Moses could give for why he was the best man for the job, why it should be him doing all these jobs. He could have got defensive, explained that this is how it is. It can be challenging if you think that you're the best one for the job, or at least you perceive yourself to be the star performer. That, well, look, I would give it, but there's no one who could do it like me. I'm the best at this. I have to lead this praise band because I'm the best musician, or I have to take this, this message because I'm the best preacher, or I have to do this because I'm the best worker, I'm the best... Moses hands over the responsibility and judges that 
he appoints, like they may not be able to rule the way he was able to do it. And sure, when you hand over a delegation to, to people, maybe they can only perform at 70% of how you would be able to do it. And it's not quite how you would like it to be done. Well, it's a short-term cost for a long-term game. If you keep going like a one-man band, the limitations will always be one person. So, so listen to Exodus again from verse 19. It says, now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice. And may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees. Give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. See, Jethro says, look, Moses, there's stuff other people can do. But you need to get alone with God. Okay, number one, he says, verse 19, get alone with God. Number two, he says, get a hold of God's principles and you teach the law. That you teach the principles of God, get alone with God, get his principles. And number three, get qualified people around you. That's verse 21. Let's, let's read that verse. It says, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,150 and 10. I love this criteria. It's good and simple. Make sure they're capable, godly, honest. Start there. Now make sure they've got all three qualities. Two out of three isn't going to cut it. I've seen godly men who are not capable put in positions of leadership and it's not gone well. And it's not because they meant it to go badly. It's just because they weren't capable. Verse 22 says that they should always be available to solve the people's common disputes. But have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. See, Jethro never says to Moses, like, just get other people to do what you're doing. He says, Moses, yes, you probably are the most gifted person here. You probably are the best guy for a lot of these jobs. So make sure the tough stuff comes to you. Make sure the stuff that you want to get right comes to you. Make sure you don't throw these new guys in at the deep end. Some of them are appointed to be chiefs of thousands. Others of fifties and tens. Now, having the authority to lead a thousand people is very different to leading ten people. It's a different skill set. A uh, different personal temperament is required. Anyone who works in, a, in the business world will see this. Sometimes a good worker can get promoted to supervisor. And while that guy was the best on his floor, doesn't make him qualified to be a manager. And it's a different skill set. Northern Ireland is full of managers who got promoted, not because they were good managers, but because they were good workers. And he said, well, that's merit, but it doesn't make them for good managers. It, it's a problem. We need to get the right people in the right positions. People looking after 10 individuals will need to be people, people creating almost a family-like bond, a neighborhood watch uh, with them. But people with a hundred underneath them, they can't work it like that. It's a different style of leadership. Uh, people with hundreds or a thousand underneath them, like you can't lead through relationships alone. Not with everyone in the group. They need to rely on their team to feed into them. And, and it's about teaching and organised and structure. People with a thousand underneath them, they'll know a fraction of the details of what's happening in individuals' lives. They'll not know people's names. It's impersonal. 
It's a different skill set. So the question is, who's the most important in that structure? Well, they're all important. Pride and ego will try and tell us that, well, the more people you have, then the more important you are. But actually, for the person who's at the bottom, for the people you're trying to serve, the guy who they have a personal relationship with, that's who's the most important. It's like, do we really care about what a CEO is doing in a shop? If they're the girl behind the till, is a cheeky guy? No. That's going to be more important to us. We want the person who's we're interacting with. They're the face of the business. Right? I mean, and even for the company that you work for, do you really care what the CEOs are up to as long as your boss is a good boss? As long as you think that they're looking after you and they're working with you for whatever is going on? So delegation is really about getting the right people in the right positions. And though Moses had handed the responsibility for judging to others, he didn't disappear entirely. He created a system so that the judges could deal with the routine stuff. But if anything got too big, they could come to him still. He hadn't abdicated responsibility. And so in doing this, Moses builds a mechanism so that people are supported in the rules. Look, guys, if you come across a case and it's too big, you can bring it to me. Don't be scared to bring it to me. To make sure that his expertise wasn't wasted and that things were decided as accurately and fairly as possible. Delegating is not abdicating responsibility. And it's important that if you give somebody a new role and you delegate, that you're willing to stand with them and provide whatever support they need. Maybe maybe in churches we've been bad at this, we've failed in this. I think it's why so many small churches stay small. Because when we delegate, what really we're doing is we're passing the buck. I say, okay, right, we need someone to do the Sunday school class, right, they can do it. Okay, now I need someone to uh, do the dope, right, okay. And we just start handing out roles to people because we want to fill positions. And yet they've never been told how they're supposed to do the job that they've been given. Here's the Sunday school book. Okay, well, what the, how do I do this? What do I do with it? Delegating means a change in roles, but it demands uh, support. And as time goes on, Moses is being told by God, look, ministry should become easier, not harder, if you get the right people around you. Now, Numbers 11 the Lord actually says to Moses specifically, select 70 elders and the spirit I have put on you, Moses, I will put on them. The same spirit I have put on you, I will put upon them and they will bear the burden with you. Now there's a parallel even to the book of Acts. All right, remember in Acts 7, the number of disciples are multiplying and you remember the story, there's a dispute breaks out. Uh, two groups are arguing about how the widows are being treated and what they're being given uh, on a daily basis. So it comes to the apostles and the apostles get wise to what's going on and say, right, we're going to get alone with God. We're going to get a hold of his principles and then we're going to get the right people to do the job. And so the elders, the pastors, the apostles, the children, it's not desirable that we give up what we're supposed to be doing to run after all this, to, to leave the word of God, to serve tables. We'll give ourselves to the word and to the ministry and then you get people around you to do that um, so that we can put over um, that ministry we're going to get along with God we're going to get a hold of his principles we're going to keep teaching them and we're going to get qualified trustworthy people to spread the load and the work too Moses was able to do this choosing people of Israel and made them heads of people some over thousands, some over hundreds some fifties, some tens depending on their skill set 
Moses was a hard worker. Nothing wrong with that. Jesus was a hard worker as well. We see that he was up early and he ministered throughout the day and often was tired, often went without meals and water even sometimes, to the point where his family thought that he was crazy. At the same time, I find that Jesus kept a beautiful balance. There were times like that that were busy. But remember the situation when he came to his disciples and he says, OK, um, let's come aside. We've been working so hard. Come alone by yourselves. Get some food. Balance out your lives. Here's the rule. Just this principle as we close. Manage your life by what's important, not by what's urgent. Set priorities and then do those things and don't worry about the other stuff. Oh, but that person needs me. I have to be the one who responds to them. No, no. Remember my, uh, remember the two sisters of Lazarus? Because oh, my brother is sick. Jesus, you got to come now. Did he go right away? No, he stayed two more days until Lazarus was dead. Lord, you should have been here. It wasn't my time. How are you anyway? It's an incredible lesson. And yet Jesus was able to turn to his father and said, everything that you've given me to do is done. How could he say that? He had only worked for three and a half years in public ministry. Yes, there was a lot of people cured, but there were still more people who could have been cured. There were a lot of blind eyes that were still blind. Deaf ears were still deaf. There was people who were still dead, uncured, unhealthy people all around them. How could Jesus turn around and say, I've finished the work that you've given me to do? What's the answer? Because Jesus knew what his job was. He lived on the schedule of God's priorities for his own life. He managed his life according to what was important, not what was urgent. We should learn from him that daily management of simply saying, Lord, it's a new day. And as I give myself to you, I want you to help me manage my time, help me set my priorities, to worship you, to love my family, etc., etc., to live within the parameters of my gifts and my callings. I'm not going to save the whole world. I'm not going to cure the whole world. I'm not going to heal the whole world. I'm going to do what you want me to do and then go home and get a good night's sleep. Help me listen to the advice of people I trust. Help me to seek wisdom. Help me to take on board their advice. Lord, help me to delegate what I can. Amen. Uh, let, let me just close with a story. Billy Sunday was, was a baseball player before he became an evangelist. Uh, and when he was converted, the young man that led him to the Lord knew that he was a hardworking man. And so he said, listen, William, uh, let me give you three things that you should do, priorities that you should keep in your life. If you do these things, no one will ever be able to call you a backslider. Number one, talk to God for 15 minutes every day. Number two, let God talk to you for 15 minutes every day. Number three, spend 15 minutes talking to someone about God every day. If you do those things, no one will be able to say backslider after you name. You'll grow in grace and knowledge. 15 minutes in the word, 15 minutes in prayer, 15 minutes telling somebody else about Jesus. Priorities. Maybe if you're so busy that you don't have time to talk to someone about God, maybe it's time to delegate some of those things out. Maybe it's time to get back to what our priorities really ought to be. Let's pray. Father, 
I, I just pray for anyone who's listening to this. Lord, I pray that they will know um, the gift of delegation, of being able to trust that you have brought others into this ministry, others into their work, others into their lives, to help them to be uh, less burdened, to share that load with. And so, Lord, help us to trust others. Lord, help us to listen to the Jethro's in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that as we do so, you would just richly bless us all. And we ask this in your name. Amen.